Boy, how I long for that day. That day's going to be so much different than our day. Do you ever get sick of watching the news? I mean, really, 24-7. Someone stole something. Someone's suing someone. Someone's caught lying to another. It just seems like every day there are worse and, and worse headlines. And no matter what you watch or what you read, what source you uh, receive your news from, there's always some sex scandal somewhere. Gang violence happens uh, everywhere, it seems. Murders occur daily, and it makes you wonder how bad will it get. This week, I think we have hit an all-time low. I saw this this week. Some of you maybe have seen this, but I saw this this week here in our own state, an all-time low. Officials say meth is on the rise, and as a result, so is crime. Must have been a bad batch around here because Floyd County's went crazy in the last four days. Neighbors notified Mason Tackett that his cousin, Philip Matthew Hagens, was seen carrying items from his house. When I finally got down here to the house to look see what happened, the door was standing wide open. It looked like he was packing up for a yard sale when he came out. And that is when he confronted Hagens. He was lying, throwing his hands and saying stuff like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, you know how rogues do, and blaming on everybody else. The confrontation took a dangerous turn once Tackett found items belonging to him. He did pull a gun on me when I got back around the house because I guess he thought I was upset with him. Items not normally the target of a would-be burglar. Who steals a cheese grater? He's got the works, Lysol. He stole an empty bottle of spray. What got me the most was my soap. He stole my soap. Who steals soap? Who steals soap, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's rock bottom or not. <laughs> but, but seriously, you have to wonder, what is our world coming to? And I hear that phrase all the time as a pastor. What is our world coming to? You know, when people say it, I can hear the frustration. I understand their frustration. There's exhaustion in their voice. There's sometimes fear. I I, I get it. I mean, our world seems to be careening out of control. But, But as Christians, our faith should influence how we see what goes on around us. Guys, there's some truths before we get into the book of Revelation chapter 5 today I want us to talk about and spend a few minutes on just to make sure we get this stuff. Number one, God is completely sovereign. Every second of our lives is in the grasp of God. I don't believe that we are ever walking alone. I don't believe that the world is careening out of control. He is in control. His hands aren't tied. He's not helpless. He doesn't wake up in the morning and see what we've done and turn to the angels and said, how are we going to fix that? He is in complete control. Any moment, at any moment, he could blow the whistle and say, all right, everybody out of the pool. He has that type of sovereignty. Now, this is easy to accept when things are going your way, right? I mean, I I get that. When you get the promotion, God's in control. When you pass the test, God help me through it. You know, whenever you get a good report from the doctor, woohoo, God's got this, I told you. All glory to him. And you should give glory to him when it works that way. And for most of us, it's easy to say that God is in control when we get what we deserve, right? 
You know, you're caught doing wrong. Well, I deserved what I got. You know, you're, you're speeding, you get a ticket. Well, that's fair. You don't like it, but it's fair. You know, you skip church, it rains, which is good. You, you neglect your body and, 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 or you're reckless and something bad happens. I mean, that's just. We can all kind of wrap our brains around that. But then there are the tough times. The times when you read the headlines and you wonder, where is God? Where where is God? When a man in Nashville walks into a Waffle House and kills four people that he doesn't even know. Where is God when a three-year-old is abducted from her backyard in a neighboring county? Where is God when a storm devastates an area where good people live? And I know that, that this question is tough just when we think about it. But you know how tough it gets when we are the ones living in it? Or when one of the people we love or know really well is living in it? it's a hard question. If there's a God, why do these things happen? And, and I know there are people who, who want to blame God for all the bad in the world and they never give Him credit for anything good that happens. But sometimes I think it's honest questions that people have. Why are there starving people? Why are there so many poor? Why are people hurting? Well, that leads me to truth number two. God cannot be blamed for all of the bad that happens in the world. I believe hardships we face, all of them, are the result of sin entering into the world. Like a hole in the dam when when Adam and Eve uh, uh, disobeyed God in the garden, they punched a hole in the dam that held back sin, and now it comes through our land like a flood. We live in a world that's broken. And we live in the midst of broken people. And the hard reality is we live with choices that other people make. We might get what we deserve, and sometimes I get what you cost. When you choose to smoke, I live with your fumes. When someone chooses to drive impaired, someone else may live or not live with their decision. When someone seeks revenge, innocent people might get caught up and have to live with the consequences. And the question begs, why? God, why did you allow the rules to be set up this way? And I believe the answer is, God wants us to lean into Him, to, to know that He loves us and to depend on Him. And sin, at its core, is self reliance and pushes God away. So truth number three is because of sin, God has allowed the devil to have some authority in this world. It's clearly taught in the Bible, Ephesians 2.2. He talks about you were dead in sins in verse 1, and in your trespasses in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit who's now working in those who are disobedient. 
clearly taught that the devil has influence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In the case of people who don't believe, the God of this age has blinded their minds so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. His plan is not for our benefit. The evil one's plan is to cause enough harm, inflict enough pain, deceive people enough that people would reject, question, or resist the true God of the universe. And then the question begs, why would God allow Satan to have such authority? I believe the answer to this is the answer to every question. Whatever God allows, causes, or creates, he does all things to glorify himself. He is not only the center of the universe, but he is the hero in every story. Whatever he allows, good or bad, he allows all things to bring him glory. And somehow, in a way that is beyond my peanut brain, God gets greater glory from man having free will and redeeming them than he does having a creation that does not fall. Even though he knew we would sin, even though Satan would seemingly win and people would be left with with head-scratching times, it gives him greater glory when he redeems. When he brings beauty from ashes, saints from sinners, or honor to the least of these, he gets great glory. Maybe an easier way of putting it is God likes the glory that comes from the underdog. No way... God could win in this messed up world. It's hopeless. But from a messed up world, he chose a people. A people who would be special to himself. And he chose those people from an old man and an old woman. And yet he established a mighty nation. No way that he could get slaves out of the most powerful country in the world at that time. But through a stuttering somewhat willing servant. He delivered his people. There's no way that he could defeat an army of hundreds of thousands with a few hundred men. But our God likes that role of receiving greater glory because he does beyond what we could imagine, think, or ask. No way he could feed 5,000 people with a few loaves. But when God redeems the situation, people don't forget And I believe this is what is going on in our world. Yes, we face hardship. Yes, we witness evil. Yes, we at times feel like God is indifferent. But we will soon be we will soon forget these hard times when one day the earth is completely back under God's control. Turn to Revelation chapter five. In maybe the most dramatic scene of all Scripture, God shows that He's in control of our planet. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, the man God made messed up the world. Now in the last book of the Bible, He he tells us that there's going to come a day when God takes control of the earth again. All the wrongs will be made right, all the sin will be abolished, and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine how much we long for that. Don't you you long for that? I mean, don't you long for the day when when people live justly and, and they walk humbly and they don't have to brag about everything that they've done? 
Don't you long for a day when, when people treat one another as brothers and sisters and not as objects? Don't you long for that day? Here in, in this beautiful picture, God says, it's coming. It's coming. And John was no different than us. Here, the author of Revelation, John the Apostle, has been exiled onto the island of Patmos. Here, he's separated from other believers. He's getting reports that the churches are not all standing up for the truth, and those who are standing up for the truth are being persecuted at every turn. And he's got to be wondering, God, what's going on? Jesus, I watched you walk on water, and you're allowing this mess? What in the world... Is happening. What's this world coming to? And yet, the picture in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is one continuous picture of God on his throne. And he's not sweating. He's not upset. He's in control of this universe. So we pick up in chapter 5 this week. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll. In chapter 4, all we can do is look at God and go, wow. In chapter 5, the focus moves from the one sitting on the throne to what the one on the throne is holding. He's holding a scroll. He has this book in his hand, and it's sealed. Uh, Sealed with seven seals. This was a piece of hardened wax that that protected the, the message. It was security. And seven seals can be interpreted a couple ways. It can mean that he has completely sealed it, because seven is the number for completion. Or it could be done for another reason. Have you ever got a book and you read about 50 pages of it and you're dying to know who did it? Or or do they get married at the end? Or, you know, have you ever had one of those books and then you take the book and you flip to the end? Are you one of those? You know, where you want to know the end of the book? A part of me wonders if the seven seals were progressively sealed, meaning you would take a scroll, you would roll the scroll up, and after one roll, you would put a seal. Then you'd roll it a little more, and you'd put another seal. And then you rolled it a little more, and you put another seal so that it had to unfold and be read in the order that it was intended. I'm not sure. I think that's probably the case in Revelation, though, because in the next few chapters, the seals are opened. One by one, the seals are opened. So we see this book. Uh, Later in Revelation, we're going to realize that this book is the title deed to the earth. And John immediately knows, though, this is a big deal for our history. Now, why does it say that it was written on the front and the back? Well, scrolls, by nature, are limited in length. They roll up and you can only write so much on them. Apparently, there was a fairly standard size to the scrolls of those days. Why do I say this? It's somewhat speculation, but if you read the book of Matthew and Luke and Romans and First and Second Corinthians kind of put together, and you read Revelation and you read the book of Acts, they're almost all the same length. It's almost like... You know, okay, this is kind of what we can get in here, in this scroll. And and if they ran out of room on the scroll, you know what they did? They flipped it over. And they wrote on the back. 
So there's a lot to be said in this book about the earth. There's a lot of wrongs that have been recorded. There are a lot of things that have been unjust that God has taken notice of, and they've all been written down. They're all recorded. But don't miss this picture. The fate of the earth is in God's hands. He has a lot to say about what's going on in this place. It might not look like God is in control, but he has the whole world right in his palm. And finally, there's hope for resolution. And you can see, or you can feel John's enthusiasm. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And this mighty angel comes up. The angel uh, here, I think it's a herax. He comes up, and and that was used for an angel that would, would loudly proclaim. He was a herald, a town crier, and he comes up and he proclaims to all heaven, who is worthy to open up these seals? Who is worthy to read the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth was able to open it up. We couldn't figure it out. And so the picture is John weeping. John cries and cries. He, 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 he's upset because no one was found who could, who could fix this mess. And you can almost hear John saying the same thing we say. God, when are you going to fix this? We hate death, God. We hate destruction, God. We hate jealousy. We hate hatred. Please open it up and reclaim the earth. But there's no one able and there's no one worthy. And since the foundation of the world, this has been the heart cry of humanity. I mean, right? I mean, please fix it, God. Man has felt the pain of brokenness. And he has constantly been trying to get rid of it. You look around you and your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members, your acquaintances, your, your friends, they're all trying to fix it because everybody hates it. We all hate the pain that sin causes. And so since the foundation of the world, people have been trying to fix it. How do they try to fix it? Well, we'll educate ourselves better. We'll fix ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll develop better medicine. We'll develop social reforms. But you know what I found? Year after year after year of man working on a fix, they still find themselves in a problem. And when they seem to fix one thing, they create a problem with another. And while John is weeping, one of the elders say, Don't weep. Stop crying. Look, the line from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and the seven seals. Here comes Jesus. These terms you might not be real familiar with about Jesus, but the Lion of Judah was a term given to the Messiah to show his power. And the root of David proved that he would come out of the people of Israel. He would be of David's descent. And then he shares a familiar image of Jesus. One like the slaughtered lamb. The the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Who was standing among the living creatures and among the elders. And then, 
the imagery gets a little different, but in the book of Revelation, you notice we get a different presentation of Jesus. He's no longer the suffering servant. Now he is the conquering king. And the one he sees had seven horns and seven eyes. Horns were symbolic of kingdom and power and authority. The eyes were a sign of knowledge. This, this lamb who was slain in a way where everybody says he must have lost has now conquered the world through the resurrection and he's been given power and authority authority and he knows all and he's aware and now every human being on earth and in heaven every angelic being cowers before him when he took the scroll the four living creatures the 24 elders fall down before the lamb uh, and, and, and each one had a harp. I guess this is where we get the image of harps in heaven. Each one of them have a harp. Now, don't misunderstand this. I do think that Revelation is filled with imagery. And I believe the imagery could be, if it were written today, each one of them had a guitar and drums. You know? But they, what they had to praise God with, they praised God with their being. They all stop. And they pray. They they praise God with the prayers of the saints. Our prayers. Psalm 41 verse 2 says, May my prayer be set before you as an incense, God. And when we pray, we're saying, God, I trust you have authority. I don't have power. When we pray, we're saying that you're in control. And I'm not in, in control For years, people have been praying, how long, God? Have you ever prayed and wondered, are you listening to me, God? And when he takes the scroll, he says, I've heard all along. Not one pain has been ignored. I've heard every thought. I know every thought. I've heard every cry. I've seen every tear. And they began to sing. They sang a new song to the Lord. And it starts making sense. God's going to make things right through Jesus. God is going to make things right. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed your people by your blood. We still proclaim the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It is through the blood of the cross that Christ overcomes the evil of this world. And they sing to the Lord. And he says this beautiful picture in Revelation 5 verse 9. I left out this verse. I'm going to read it for you. I don't want you to miss it. This is maybe my favorite part of this entire chapter, and it's not up here. I'm sorry. Can you hear the word? Listen. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed your people uh, for God by your blood every, from every tribe and language and people and nation. People have been saved because of what Christ has done. Don't miss that. From every tribe, every nation, every tongue, people are saved. God loves this world. Guys, a few weeks ago, my heart broke as I watched a girl about the age of my daughter. Her photo littered TV screens. First in Iowa and then around the rest of the world. And it's tragic. 
horribly tragic. Because three weeks ago, 75 people were murdered in Chicago. And I didn't see a single news story about it. Y'all know where I'm going with this, don't you? It can't be that way in the church of God. The church of God is is not a place reserved for some nice suburban white people. The church of God is a place where every tribe, every tongue, every nation is represented. Heaven's going to be like this. We better get used to it. And we better celebrate it. And my prayer is that we'll start acting on earth like we will act in heaven. So I pray that our congregation gets more and more diverse. Verse 10. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on earth. At one time only a select few had access to God. But through the death of Jesus, access to God was opened up to everyone. Direct access to God. And therefore, because you're a priest, you can take your prayer request to Him. You can pour out your your heart to Him. You can confess your sins to Him. Those of you who are in traditions, who believe you should do otherwise, do you really want to confess your sins to me? Really? Oh, we confess to one another so that we may be healed, but I'm so grateful that I can get on my knees and I can cry out to God and I can say, Oh God, you know my weaknesses. You know me inside and out. You know my lying down and my rising up before words ever on my mouth. You know it already. And God, you know how much of a wreck I am without you. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And praise the Lord, he is. He hears, he knows, he loves, and he redeems. He does bring beauty from ashes. In verse 11, and then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. I heard the living creatures. I heard the elders. Their number was countless plus thousands of thousands. This is the best way he could say is there's no way for anybody to, to figure this out. It's a big throng of people who are praising the Lord. Picture this, the throne and Jesus right there by the Father. And now a uh, 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 hundred million angels all revolving around one throne, singing loudly this mighty choir, all worshiping Jesus. And they said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power. Worthy to receive riches. Worthy to receive wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He's completely worthy. You got the picture? Everything that has breath, everything that has been made, is bowing before the throne and worshiping. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and forever. This is a fulfillment of Philippians chapter 2 verse 11, right? You remember Philippians chapter 2 verse 11? At the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Those on earth, those in heaven, those under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
And in the end, as we see the end unveiled here in Revelation, everything and everyone will acknowledge Him as Lord. I was thinking about this this week, and this phrase kept coming to me. This is one of the most beautiful scenes and most terrifying scenes I've ever seen. It's beautiful because those in heaven know how they got there. They got there because of the Lamb of God which was slain before the foundation of the earth for the redeemed. And it's terrifying because it says that those who reject Him, who find themselves in a sinner's hell, will be forced to bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. The truth is, we have a choice to worship Him now voluntarily or to worship worship Him when we're forced to worship Him in the hereafter. Y'all know me. I don't believe in emotional invitations. I don't believe in long invitations. I don't believe in begging people to Jesus. But if I could beg you, be a part of the throng that voluntarily worships the Lord now and celebrates worshiping the Lord later. Instead of being a part of the massive horde of people who will be forced to acknowledge, I was wrong. Jesus is Lord. Every person in this room will worship God. And you can choose to do it now or you can choose to do it then. And I'm not sharing this because I'm angry and I'm not sharing it because I feel like I'm smarter than you. But I want you to know if you don't bow today, you will bow one day. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these words and you would use them for your glory. Father, I ask that you would help us Help us to see your working in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, when we don't understand what this world is coming to, help us to understand that you are in control and you have a purpose in all things. And God, even in the painful things that we don't understand, God, help us to trust you that because you are the lamb that was slain for our sins, you will be the victorious Lord who takes us to glory. God, give us confidence in you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lisa, if you could go back just for a second to my takeaways. I'm going to give you the takeaways, and then we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to get this. I'm not trying to manipulate you to Jesus. I want you to understand the truth. The truth is simple. Don't lose confidence, believer. God's in control. Don't lose confidence. He has this earth. Nothing is going to happen that takes the keys away from God. Number two. The Lord is waiting for those who will worship Him now. In 1 Peter Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Some people are saying, yeah, if Jesus were coming back, why hadn't he come back already? If he's going to make things right, why hadn't he already made it right? You remember what he says? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some concern, uh, consider slacking, slackness. The Lord is faithful. But he's just waiting for people to repent, to worship him now. And whether we choose... To worship Him now or not, we will worship Him. So I pray that we would be faithful to bow before the One 
who loves us. Today you get the opportunity to do just that. Some of you here have never, ever given your life to Jesus, ever. I would beg you today to give your heart and life to Jesus. Some of you here, for some reason or another, have decided that your life is is yours to live the way that you want to live, and you might deal with God one day. I beg you, give your life completely to God today. Some of you here... Maybe, maybe like Miranda, have been saved, but you've never been baptized. And Miranda, I think, recognized Jesus is Lord of my life. I wanted to be baptized to let everyone know it. Maybe you're here and you're in that situation today. We'd love to tell you how you can be baptized. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to be a part of this congregation. We'd love for you to be with us as we share the message, the gospel message. We'd encourage you to come. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you're in the midst of one of those God, where are you moments. I talked to somebody today who's right there. And you know what answer I had? Nothing. Except I'll pray for you and I do believe that God is in control of all things and He loves you. And sometimes you just need to get alone with God and hear that. That He loves you and He's in control even when it's hard. Maybe you need to come today and you, need, you want a pastor to pray with you. You want to come to the altar. You come. We're going to stand right now. We're going to sing about that great day that's coming. But maybe a great day needs to happen for you today. Would you come as we stand together and sing?